reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. My Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, but he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! Thank you. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you meet us in all the areas of our lives, all the times of our lives. Thank you that you met Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Thank you for your word of hope in despair. In your name, Amen. One of the immense privileges of my job is to walk with people in their grief. Both those I know well and complete strangers allow me access to their deepest feelings of loss and abandonment as they face the deep questions of mortality, of life and death. The loss of someone we have loved is never easy and it always stirs up in us some of the deepest pain and also the deepest of questions, questions which need answers. It was no different for Martha and Mary, and as we look at their story today, I suspect that we might well have some questions of our own. Martha, Mary and Lazarus, we're told twice that Jesus loved them. Once when Martha and Mary send word to Jesus that Lazarus is ill, Lord, the one you loved is ill. And once, just before John tells us what Jesus decides to do. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, sick, he decided to stay where he was for two more days. What? He loved them, so he stayed where he was. How does that work? Lazarus is sick, and he stays where he is. 
This is the one who could restore sight to the blind and make the lame walk, as both Martha and Mary go on to say when he finally reaches Bethany. They use exactly the same words. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Why does love for Jesus equal inaction? When in so many other cases it has led to miraculous healing, even for those he doesn't know, let alone for someone he loves. The word here is gut love. Gut love. I guess that there are times when we want to ask that of God ourselves, aren't there? When we want to ask him why someone else's prayer is answered, but ours apparently isn't. When his love for us seems to be expressed in, in action. When he is saying to us, as Jesus was implicitly saying to those sisters, as their brother dies and is laid in the tomb, wait, wait. I will come and I will act, but not now. And not in the way you expect or the way you're asking for. I remember a family coming to the church I grew up in. The father brought his daughter for prayer. She was totally deaf. This was back in the 60s. And it was very, very hard for them. And he wanted to ask for healing. None of them were Christians. He was just desperate, looking for an answer, any answer. The leaders of the church laid hands on her and on him. And they prayed for healing, for the Holy Spirit to come. She wasn't healed. She wasn't healed. Indeed, she didn't get any hearing for another 40 years when she was finally given a cochlear implant. But a few days later, the father had an overwhelming experience of Christ. An overwhelming experience of God coming into his life. And the entire family changed that day. Peace came into that family. I will come, I will act, but not in the way you expect or the way you are asking for. Jesus said wait. And so Jesus waits to go to Mary and Martha and it means it takes two days for him to set off to Bethany. You don't know what he's doing in those two days. But it takes two days. And by the time he gets there, Lazarus has been in the grave for four days already. And the sisters, they don't understand. They know that he's delayed coming because they know he got the message. And they know that that time could have changed things for them and for Lazarus. If you had been here, Lord, if you had been here, you can hear the pain, the gut pain, can't you, in that phrase. I suspect there aren't many of us here who haven't been bereaved. Just imagine if we had had Jesus as a close friend and imagine if he hadn't come to us. Just imagine how that would have felt. How totally devastating that would have been if we'd known he'd just hung around and not come and we'd watched the person we loved die. It wasn't as if Lazarus was old, as if he'd lived out his time to a good old age. He was almost certainly a young man upon whom his sisters relied as a breadwinner. 
without him, they were lost. If you had been here, Lord, if you had been here. But what Martha says next is equally revealing. Revealing of the depths of this woman. Even she stands there in the midst of her confusion and of her loss and of her grief. But I know that even now, God will give you anything, whatever you ask. She knows that her brother's been in the tomb for four days. But she still believes that somehow Jesus can change things. But even now. Do we give up on God? Do we make him too small? Do we limit him with our limitations, our expectations? Martha didn't. I don't think she had any idea what she was talking about and what it meant, but she didn't limit him. She put absolute faith in him. And of course, Jesus' response to her is so famous, isn't it? Your brother will rise again. He'll rise again. Just like that. Martha is struggling to grasp what Jesus is telling her. She believes in the final resurrection, yes. But what he is saying is that he, Jesus, standing before her, has the power over life and death. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. The power of death is destroyed once and for all in Jesus, finally on the cross. And him, in him, that power is total. You know, there's something spine-tingling about declaring these words at a funeral as one leaves the coffin into the church, as I will do tomorrow. Knowing that death does not have the final word. That Jesus has destroyed its power. And that those who believe in him will be raised like him to eternal life. And for Martha, those words are the key. Jesus' words inspire her to respond with a declaration of faith, acknowledging for herself who Jesus is, acknowledging that he is not only the Messiah, but so much more than that, that he is the Son of God. Do you believe, Jesus says? I believe, she says, that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Wow. Wow. I don't think we can grasp just how phenomenal it is that Martha says these words. It is quite something. Here they're talking about Jesus' power over death. And Martha totally gets it. She gets who Jesus is. That he isn't just a great teacher or a good man. She gets, she gets now that he is the Son of God. That he is God. 
This is something, this is an amazing thing for a monotheistic Jew to say. And that changes everything. It turns everything on its head. This, this is why Jesus delayed coming. This, this is why he hung around. This is why he gave his friends pain and allowed Lazarus to die. Not because he didn't care. He really cared. He really does. But because it matters that Martha gets it, that she makes this declaration. And then that we hear it, that we get it too. That God's glory is revealed. The glory of the only Son of the Father, both in word and deed. It matters. Messiah, the Son of God. And then there there is another aspect of God's glory being revealed in the story. There's the obvious one, when we see Lazarus raised, when Jesus reveals his power over death, when he confirms all that Martha has just said. Lazarus, come out! But before that, Jesus meets Mary, weeping, and all those who are with her weeping, and we find the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. That's it. Short and very simple. He meets Mary in her grief and he weeps with her. Pure and simple. He understands the pain of loss and how devastating it is. And there he answers one more of our questions. I wonder how often you are aware of God's presence with you in your grief. How often you even think about it, about God grieving with you, weeping with you. God doesn't sit separate and watch us from a distance, like some scientific experiment. Let's see how these rats respond. He stands with us in our grief, and he holds us, and he weeps with us. Not because he's impotent. Jesus wasn't impotent as he went to Lazarus' grave. He knew what he was going to do. But because he understands the horror of death, and because he loves us so, so much, and he walks with us in our pain. Jesus wept. And again, as Jesus reaches Lazarus' tomb, we are told that Jesus is once more deeply moved. Very well, mistranslation, this is one. In fact, the Greek says that Jesus bellows with rage. He bellows with rage. This is not gentle. This is deep gut anger. Anger at death. Fury at the destruction of death. The horror of death. Because death is not God's idea. It was never God's will for the world, for humankind. Death is not God's good. Is not one of the goods of creation. Jesus is furious. 
That's what the Greek holds in its language. He's not deeply moved. He's furious. And it does us good to remember this as we face death, as we grieve, as we struggle to understand loss, the loss of those we love. Death was not God's plan, which is why Jesus faces death down, why he takes blows on himself, why he, the Son of God, dies on the cross, absorbing all its power in himself. As Jesus stands at Lazarus' tomb and calls the man who has been dead for four days out, as he restores him to life and to his sisters, he presents us with a type of what is to come. Lazarus will one day die again. He will then, like us, await the resurrection from the dead in Christ, which Jesus has won for all who believe when he the Son of God, the Son of God, died on the cross. Here in this story, here in this story, God is showing us his Son, he is revealing him to us, revealing his glory, And he is telling us that we should not accept death. It is an evil, an horrific evil. But it is a defeated evil. Defeated by the Son of God, who is the resurrection and the life. Who weeps with us as we face face it. But who has broken its power once and for all. And who promises each of us that the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives believing in me will never die. Today, brothers and sisters, he asks each of us here, as he asked Martha all those years ago, do you believe this? Should we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came and you lived amongst us as Emmanuel, God with us, to reveal God's glory to us, the glory that took you to the cross so that you could break the power of death and sin for us. And thank you that because you did that, we need not fear death. Thank you that death has no power over us. Death. Where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? Thanks be to God for the victory won in Christ. Lord Jesus, we pray that each of us may know that freedom that we have in you. In your name we pray. Amen.